Hey, good morning. Join us tonight. Come on out as we once again explore the wisdom, the knowledge, and the riches of God's Word. Notably, tonight, in the book of Isaiah, in some powerful chapters, as was last week. My dad, a guy named Reverend Corson, is going to be opening up the Word of God as the Holy Spirit leads him and guides us in our time together. Would you join us? I would like to see you here. That would be great. I was reading in Proverbs today, and you read about how wisdom is this beautiful woman in that writing from Solomon. Of course, Solomon knew a thing or two about beautiful women, <laughs> a thing or two or a thousand. <laughs> but what once again hit me, so to speak, as you know, it's not just wisdom that is personified as a woman in the Proverbs, but on the flip side, so is foolishness personified as a woman. Not just any foolishness either, but sexual folly is personified as a woman. You know the scriptures, but let me read to you again from Proverbs in chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice and I've seen among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night, and darkness and behold the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute wily of heart she is loud and wayward her feet do not stay at home now in the street now in the market and at every corner she lies in wait she seizes him and kisses him with a bold face she says to him I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you regularly, eagerly. I have found you. I have spread my couch with covering, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, 
aloe, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our love, our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. A full, at full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him, and her smooth talk compels him. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. <laughs> wow. That's not just or only speaking of adultery, but folly and sin that Solomon is able to pen these words with, with this kind of insight and background, no doubt. But what has dawned on me in my reading through the Proverbs is that both wisdom and folly are identified as women. Now, the woman of wisdom also sets out a meal, a, a, a homeward or a beautiful setting. She has her candles, her dishes, her meals all prepared, just as does the woman of folly and adultery does in her home. It's up to me to which one I want to come and eat. Come and dine. I'm tired. I'm just plain weary of hanging out with the wrong woman. Well, let me explain what that means. Not that I'm <laughs> not that I am straying in my marriage, but rather I'm talking about not loving the wisdom of God for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here on Rogue Grace, what do we talk about day after day? His grace, his beauty, his love, and his kindness. Let us not for a moment mistake that. Let me not for a moment miscommunicate that as meaning, so do whatever you want. No. Make sure you don't go to the home of the wayward woman. Make sure you stay with the woman who is right and wise. Make sure you stay in wisdom of the word of God. Just because I love to talk about grace, just because in its true we are saved, and justified by faith alone doesn't mean we can just hang out with either woman in the story of the Proverbs. No, don't be a fool, but be wise. Open God's word, read it, and follow it for your own life's sake. I know you agree. We'll be right back.
with his blood we were lost and dead in sin he came for us look what god has done he adopted us in love we were orphans without hope now his children
God, that was a great song by a band called Ghost Ship. And the song is entitled, Look What God Has Done. Nice stuff, guys. The Bible is not a book of instruction that is sprinkled with stories. The Bible is a story sprinkled with instruction. It's a story of God saving a lost world and redeeming those whom he has chosen to redeem. That is the difference. Please read the Bible not as an instruction sprinkled with stories, but as a story sprinkled with instructions. That's what will truly transform you. The Bible is inspired. Jesus talked about Jonah, Lot, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and he talked about Adam, just to name a few. He takes some of the most controversial stories that we, we might easily say, mm, those are perhaps um, metaphorical or they're symbols and Jesus puts their, his stamp of validation on Jonah. <laughs> you know, the guy who got swallowed up by the whale on Lot and his wife who turned into salt. He takes some of the most incredible, and I say this reverently, unbelievable stories. And in fact, in Matthew 19, when he talks about the two shall become one, he says, when he quotes that verse, God says, the two shall become one. Putting once again, the plenary inspiration of the Bible at the forefront. So whatever God says is scripture. And whatever scripture says, God says. Scripture is simply the word of God at some point written down for us to read. That's what the scripture is. His word was written down. See, a word, as you know, can be spoken. A word can be written. God's word is always was, always will be. And at some point in time, it was written down and now you have it in your hand or in your car (laughs) or on your desk. Doesn't that just make you want to read God's word? You know, in my present situation with my lack of brain, well, I've always had lack of brain, but you know what I mean? after coming out of brain surgery, I read the Bible and a lot of the things that I used to think through or 
try to get some conclusions on. They're in my notebooks, but they don't come to the forefront of my thinking. I still love to read God's word. So why I am saying that is because you might feel something like that. You go, you might think, well, I'm reading through the Bible or I I read the Bible, but I don't come up with applications or revelations or insights like Pastor John or Billy Graham or Charles Spurgeon or whoever you want to put in that line. Neither do I. But we still read it because it's not your conclusions and your applications that are going to change your life. It is the word of God itself. So keep on reading it. Just read the Bible. And I say this, don't take it the wrong way. I don't care what conclusions, revelations, or insights you come to. I don't care because I know that it is his word that you're reading. Now, I know you care. That's good. But I don't. I just want you to read your, read his word. It's always been and always will be. But now we have it down on pages and paper to read. Jesus in Luke 16, if you want to read this, goes on to say, remember there in Luke 16, you have that story in Hades, in hell, and you have that chasm, that gap between the rich man who is in hell, we might call it, Hades, we might say, and Lazarus, who is with the angel and with Moses, right? And the rich man in hell says to Moses, let me go back even momentarily to earth, to the surface, to tell my brothers about this, the difference between paradise and hell. And Moses says, if they do not believe in the word of God, what you say will have no effect. I'm enthralled by that statement because it shows, it tells, it declares, it reminds us that the word of God is even better than a vision or a dream or even seeing someone rise from the dead like a Lazarus in Bethany or the little boy that Elijah raised from the dead. When I say Elijah, I probably should have said Elisha. But you know what I mean? The word of God is, what if you saw someone rise from the dead? I, I, I don't mean Jesus eternally. I mean like that kid in the story 
or like Lazarus in Bethany. That would be, wouldn't that be fairly interesting? (laughs) Of course, I say that in jest in terms of it wouldn't be fairly interesting. It would be fascinating. But as powerful as that would seem to you or me, Jesus in that story in Luke 16 says, they already have the word of God. You probably won't see anyone rise again from the dead. This side of heaven. You're not going to see maybe a vision or a dream like you read about Abraham or Moses or others having. No, but you have something even more powerful than that. You have God's word. The scripture is simply the word of God at some point in time written down for us to read. We are blessed.
Welcome back to the program here on this Wednesday, which reminds me tonight we will be gathering in the sanctuary of the church. Well, might I put it this way? The church will be gathering in the sanctuary (laughs) because you and I are the church. So come on out tonight at seven o'clock. You will be edified. You will be blessed. God's word will be taught. Unless he comes back first before that, that would be wonderful. Jesus, may you come today. That would be great. The gospel. The gospel. I get to preach. You get to share. We get to declare the gospel, which means good news. So think about that. If you had won the jackpot, I would, I was going to say the lottery, but I know you never play the lottery. I know you never have. So let's say you won the jackpot. What would your reaction be? Do you think you might have a spring in your step? Do you think you might rejoice? Do you think you might even share it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Something is drastically wrong when we have to try to make ourselves, or I should put it this way, make people excited about the good news. See, when we're saved as Christians, it's because we heard Jesus paid it all. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. But then I have found in the church, in Christianity, and in most Christians, as time proceeds, I have found that a little law comes in here and a little law gets in there One condition here and another condition there. Constantly being told to do things like check the rooms of your heart. Search your heart. Well, the problem is, although that might have temporary effect, the overall effect will be we find ourselves sinning in ways that we never did when even we weren't saved. That's what the law, that's what legalism, pharisaical attitudes will ultimately produce. I'm not just speaking, I'm speaking from experience, not just personal experience, but man, I've been in the ministry 20 years. There are families Men, parents that I saw were the most, quote, on fire Christians. And they kept the commandments and they were adamant about walking in holiness and they are nowhere on the map any longer when it comes to the church. Not just our church, I mean the church. 
that has happened more times than not. So we don't need more steps and seminars to share good news. We just need to share good news. We don't have to be pretending it's good news when we go witnessing. You're not perfect, neither am I, but our Savior is perfect and has made the perfect payment, which brings perfect satisfaction, which creates a perfect conscience, as the Bible says. Aren't you glad that the book of Hebrews says the sacrifice was made once and for all to cleanse your conscience, to serve the living God? If, if you are, so here's, here's the load off your shoulders and mine too today. If you are trying to do a good work, If you're trying to do something to make your conscience feel better, it's a dead work. You can't do it. It's a self-serving action in which the Bible makes it clear. The book of Hebrews calls it just that, a dead work. All you have to do is realize the gospel is good news. That's why I love to share the gospel because all too often in Christianity throughout the ages, as well as ours, it has been fairly good news. If even that, no, it is good news by grace. We have been saved by faith. We have been saved and even not that of ourselves. It is a gift from God.
younger ones the twins are gonna be having a great afternoon they are gonna get picked up from school as they do every wednesday by their grambo my mom beautiful thing to see when my kids go with my mom because i get the house to myself (laughs) and other reasons too i'm sure uh my mom's awesome And in heaven, I'm going to see her. I'm going to see my mom that I was born from. If you, if you would, my real mom, if, if I can put it that way, I guess I have no other way to put it. My maternal mother. There you go. I'm going to see my sister, my mom, my sister are already there. My grandpa, friends that are there. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. That's why the Bible is very careful. Very careful. Never to say that the believer is dead. Simply says over and over in the New Testament, we sleep. I like that. Sleep. I like sleeping, don't you? Now, my kid, my my little kiddos, the little ones, they wouldn't agree with that. They don't say they like sleeping. But the older I get, the more I like sleep. Because sleep means the first thing you feel when you step out is you feel alive. You got a nap or a good night's sleep, you feel alive. And the moment We put, you put this body down, this body 
of this death, Paul calls it. And you sleep and gain eternal resurrection. You will feel so alive. So alive, it's just like you woke up. So if this is my last day on earth, it very possibly could. Yours too, but mine really. Yours probably just as much could be your last day. Don't cry if this is my last day. Don't cry if there's a, a memorial service or at the graveside. Don't cry because I am so alive. In fact, I'm more alive than all of you and vice versa. You'll be alive more than all of us. I think of my, wow, I, I don't even know what to say. My friend, it can't be just my friend. This guy knew me from the beginning at just about Dale Barnes. You know, Dale, was the the chef at Jacksonville Inn. I remember before that, when we were little kids, he had when we were up in the Western Auto Building at, at the church here, before the building we're in now, that little building right up the hill, he had a, a little restaurant at the bottom or the, the uh, downstairs of that same building. And one time he had me and my two sisters, after my mom had died, go down and... He gave us some tea and some snacks. And it was like back then, it was, I mean, I remember it. It was very, what's the word I want to use? It was, um, I don't, is the word hippie? The whole thing was hippie, man. But he loved Jesus back then. I remember his sons being in Sunday school with me all growing up. Zach Barnes. And uh, it was just quite the family. And I saw him at church just a few weeks ago. And then he was out of town. He's on the East Coast when he went to be with the Lord. And you're going to be there and I'm going to be there with him because he is not dead Neither is my mom or my sister or my grandpa. The Bible says they're asleep. Jesus Christ defeated death. And in the same way he gave us victory over death, it is because, and it's the same way he gave us victory over sin. He died unto sin once and for all. And the life he now lives, he lives to God. Romans chapter 7. So when you, when, you, when you do die, as it were, as we call it, or better yet, when you do sleep, you don't die or sleep, as it were, and then come back. Not physically right? Spiritually, eternally, but I mean in the same state of, of a sinful nature or mortal flesh. No, 
You don't. Not in the same way you don't. So too, you are now dead to sin. You're not going to go back to it. You're not going to walk in it. You're dead to it once and for all. And just as Jesus died once and for all, I was in him. He is now in me. I died once and for all to sin. So it can't just mean that I never sin, can it? Because I think I do. And if all I have to do is ask my kids or my wife, and they will quickly confirm that. It must be then. I'm dead to sin. Doesn't mean that I'll never sin. It means it no longer is what controls, no, what labels where I find my identity. It's taken away, and now I'm alive forevermore. That's why they call this thing the gospel. Young man on the side of the road, lost in
to close up shop in just a minute. Again, reminding you tonight, come out and join us for the study of the book of Isaiah. The high schoolers are going to be meeting. My daughter is included. And so they'll be meeting in the uh, upper room. That'll be cool. Junior high, junior hypers, my other daughter. And then the kiddos, my other two daughters. Yeah, I got too many kids. <laughs> That's why I'm glad I get to give them out tonight. <laughs> yeah. So if you have too many kids as well, well as me, give them out tonight. Bring them out. And they will hear the word of God. They will experience the love of Jesus Christ as we will. So come on out tonight and join us in the Lord's house. See, this building is just a building, but because it is dedicated to the word of God and to the glory of Christ Jesus, it is the house of the Lord. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Lord willing, or should he tarry, I will be back on the air tomorrow for our Thursday edition of Rogue Grace. This is Peter John, and may you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk to you tomorrow.